Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life. I'm Ryan Pack. Brandis Wilson and Nicole Barlow are back on the podcast. But instead of continuing our series of dissecting Ewan McGregor's attractiveness in music-heavy films, we decided to instead discuss the 2017 David Leitch film, Atomic Blonde, which famously does not star Ewan McGregor. Brandis, why are we talking about Atomic Blonde? Wait, I'm really confused. I thought this was the Ewan McGregor podcast. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, too. I thought we were here to roast Nicole. Wait, you're telling me we're talking about a movie that doesn't have Ewan McGregor? You're the one that picked it. (laughs) All I could think throughout the movie was, how much better would this be if the James McAvoy character was just Ewan McGregor? They're (laughs) completely, you know, you you can just switch that up. 20 years ago, would have been Ewan McGregor with the same buzz cut. I was just thinking, like, wait, hold on, like, uh, who are we gonna compare like weight to with like Ewan McGregor? Like, I'm so lost. Like, who's Nicole gonna pull for? Like, I don't know who she's like attracted to in this movie. Like, it's really strange. Also, I planned like a whole intro to your uh, your podcast, like a new one, the Nicole and Ewan McGregor show, but apparently it's totally irrelevant now. (laughs) I thought Nicole was gonna hope that Ewan McGregor replaced the French spy in the film. I'm just going to talk about Gorbachev and the wall and it's going to be real, real sexy. (laughs) I guess I should possibly warn of spoilers. I don't know what's going to happen in this episode, but there might be spoilers. They're probably going to be spoilers. Spoiler, the Berlin Wall comes down. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Shit. (laughs) Shit. Spoilers. Charlize Theron is the atomic blonde. (laughs) Charlize Theron is just a little historical fact for everyone. Uh, Charlize Theron actually took down the Berlin Wall herself with a red stiletto. First chip at the wall. Yep. That happens in like the first 10 minutes, though, so it's not really a spoiler. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could start by uh, discussing that this movie movie takes place in, uh, yeah, pre-wall coming down east-west Berlin. In the mm-hmm. 80s, in like 89. Hardcore 80s vibes with the soundtrack and like with the fashion and absolutely 100% here for it. And it, this has nothing to do with music, but aesthetically, this movie looks so good. Like it's mm-hmm. both literally and figuratively cool. Like it's just a cool looking film. And it's the best anyone has ever looked in the 80s. Like usually you think of 80s movies, <laughs> like real or set in the present and made to look like the 80s. And everybody's got like some really horrifying perm and some shoulder pads that are like up to the ceiling. And it's just gross. Charlize Theron looks so fucking good. It's not fair. I don't think there were any mullets in this film, actually. There, no, I, everybody just looks so good. Like the costuming is probably yeah. not as 80s or as 89 as it should be. Like, everyone looks suspiciously great. Well, maybe because it's, like, Europe. Maybe, like, in the U.S., we were the ones with the problems with the bad part of the 80s, and the Europe just had, like, the good part of the 80s. I don't know that. It's a theory. No, I, I had that same thought. I was like, was it just really cool in Europe at the time? Like, <laughs> we were the ones fucking it up. No, like, 
everything about this film was amazing. Obviously, the acting, the uh, soundtrack was like on point. The fashion was killer. The color, like the cinematography, like I love this film. I think I've seen it four times now. Wow. Yeah. times this is your train spotting it is this is my train spotting i love it 4 30 same thing (laughs) i'm just gonna keep bringing it back to you and mcgregor even though he's not in this well i mean we have to like otherwise like people are just gonna be lost they're gonna be like but i don't understand they're not talking about you and mcgregor in the grand tradition though of brandis introducing me to things that i've never seen and vice versa i hadn't seen this film before um before you know getting my homework for this podcast and it's it's great it's super entertaining it's like the female john wick film that i feel like Charlize should have been making this whole time she's Mm -hmm. like had a career she's just really well cast in it she was furiosa in mad max and they decided to finally give her something where she could be like that female bond and it's great. Like, I want a sequel that's even better than this. I want a sequel that's set in, like, 95. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's, like, 100% total badass in all the stuff she's in, but especially in this film. And what makes it so unique, too, a lot of people are talking about it, is they didn't shy away from showing her get hurt. Usually when you have female characters in sort of, like, a badass lead action role, you don't see them getting, like, punched around like you would a male character like John Wick. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely don't pull punches like with her. You see her like taking a lot of hits, but then obviously she gets twice as good. So like that was also a little bit revolutionary in this film too. She gets wrapped up in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. The violence in this film was very visceral. Yes. Yes. Uh, so David Leitch did work on John Wick. Yes. <laughs> so I guess she sparred with Keanu to get ready, ready for this film. Oh, really? So- so Keanu was getting ready ready for John Wick 2, and Charlize and Keanu sparred together since, you know, they're both going to just take a bunch of beatings and give a bunch of beatings in their respective films. <laughs> I can't imagine Keanu sparring with someone and not being, like, super nice about it. Like, I know, right? I'm really sorry, Charlize. Like, the mere fact that Keanu Reeves plays John Wick just shows that he's a much better actor than people give him credit for because you're talking about the nicest guy in the world just, like, he's being so nice. out of people. The range, the range. Whereas, like, with Charlize, yeah. like, you really you really buy that she's that, like, ice in her veins, like, mm-hmm. cool, I don't give a shit about anything and whether you live or die character. I don't know if she's like that in real life, but she sells the shit out of it. Yes. That's Absolutely. just, like, it, it's just her personified so the 80s component of this this is also a pretty solid soundtrack i had a lot of questions because this is what i do in movies that in a different period like is this period correct like are these songs did they come out like at the same time and then i looked it up and so everything came out before the 1989 setting and most of the songs that they use came out around like 83 so, like, 99 Loof Balloons came out in 83. Major Tom came out in 83. And so there are some people, like, bitching on the internet about how if you were in West Berlin in 89, you'd actually be listening to, like, weird, like, house nightclub music. Yeah, I was going to say, where are the discotheques in this film? Where are the discotheques? Like, you would not be listening to Politics of Dancing in Berlin in 1989 because you would be, like, kicked out of the discotheque. But the problem with that is if you're a filmmaker... 
you can't use a bunch of like underground techno because it's not going to be, it's not going to relay the thing that you need to relay about where you are in space time. Mm -hmm. So also it's not cool enough for the action scenes in this movie. Completely. Like that would be a bad movie. If it was all set to like (laughs) techno. Right. Like definitely. You just have run Lola run. (laughs) (laughs) You would. You you would you would have like an actual German art house film, and this is just like Hollywood spin on it. But I, but I liked it. Um, I like I liked that it opens with cat people. So you guys all know I'm a Bowie fan too. It's my mm-hmm. other preoccupation. I feel like there's some kind of um, there's some kind of rule in Hollywood where if you're gonna burn something, you have to play cat people. But <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> he burns this picture and then it's like putting out the fire with gasoline and it's the same thing that happens in um in inglorious bastards except that there's a bigger fire in that movie and more he's died. slightly larger fire yeah a little, slightly larger a lot of i feel people. like i also just want to point out that nicole i don't think has done a single episode on this podcast that doesn't somehow feature david bowie it's it all comes back around telling you guys he is the alpha omega it's not even <laughs> the way it is no but i totally agree like even if that's maybe not totally appropriate for berlin at this time period it still does like a bang-up job of setting the tone time and place for like the major portion of like the audience watching the film like it's not too mainstream but it's familiar enough um like mixed with some like slightly deeper cuts that like you know like it totally sets the place but it's also super interesting and it sets the tone really well and it also has like really good pacing and energy Mm-hmm. It's like much harder, edgier, like Bond film. Yeah, I mean, it's still got that like it's got like a cool industrial edge to it, also, mm-hmm. which is which is refreshing. Like they didn't go with all, you know, top forty hits of the eighties. Not everything is totally recognizable. Like Ministry is in this. There's a Susie and the Banshees song in this. Like it's still not being completely obvious in my opinion. And it's like throwing in again, like that kind of tone setting and like scene setting stuff. Like let's throw in something that's actually in German. So you remember we're in Berlin. <laughs> right, yeah. I like that, you know, with new orders blue Monday, which is, you know, obviously a huge song. It's set to a scene in Germany. Like it's not like, Oh, we're in London. So we have to play new order. You know, like they don't have to be like nail it, hitting you over the head with references. Mm hmm. Right, unlike how they hit you over the head with uh, the Stoli Vodka <laughs> sponsorship. No, the Jack Daniels sponsorship. Maybe both. And there's a whole thing. I actually looked it up because I was so fascinated by it. I was like, wow, Stoli the Vodka played a lot of money to be in this movie. How many times do you think it's placed in the movie? Just take a, take a guess. It's actually not that high. 13. Ryan? Seven. It's actually eight times that it's put, like, that's a lot if you think about yeah. advertising money, like, fully, like, let's turn, can we turn the Stoli label, like, to the yeah. camera? Yeah. Like, that's a lot. You light the label just so, so you really see that, like, name pop. Get a neon, like, reflection on that, please. Also, Before it smashes someone in the head. Yeah. <laughs> also, just want to remind the listeners that we work in advertising, so we kind of notice these things. I don't know if the average person was like, holy shit, vodka, but, like... <laughs> If you didn't, if you didn't notice that Stoli is in it, but then you suddenly had like a craving for vodka on ice, this is why. Yeah, that's what was happening. Yeah, that's what was happening. That's what they wanted you to do. Uh, she asks for it twice in the movie too. Kind of that James Bond effect where 
Yeah, that's her drink of choice. Her drink of choice. It's yep. stolen on ice and then a nice ice bath to go with it. That's where you're trying to get the impression that she was Russian. She's a Russian double agent. We should have known. Spoiler. Known. Known. Why, is this, why is this in my six agent ordering a vodka? It's, it's a great point. <laughs> I thought alcohol was like the great unifier of all countries. Well... I don't know. We'll never know now because she was, in fact, kind of a Russian double agent. Spoiler. Spoiler. I was so preoccupied with the fact that Stoli was in this movie so many fucking times that I didn't even think about it in terms of like, oh, she might be Russian. (laughs) Back to the soundtrack. I felt like there was only one myth for me. And that was during the fight sequence when Charlie's there and fights like the police Mm. um, in the, how do you say his name? Gascoigne? Gascon? Gascon, yeah. Gascon, there we go. In Gascon's apartment, when the police come um, and she's fighting them, it's played to or set to Father Figure by George Michael, which was like such a weird juxtaposition because the whole rest of the film, all of the action and the fight sequences are set to this like fast paced Britpop industrial tone. And then all of a sudden, just in the middle of the movie, it's like George Michael. And it's like slow and smooth and weird. And I was just like, what is happening? It was weird. My take on that was she had to put on whatever, like, was in the stereo already, and it just ended up being that. I mean, yeah, because it was contextual. But, like, as the people making the movie, why was the person in that apartment listening to George Michael? It was actually not David Leitch's first choice. His first choice was Take My Breath. Is it Take My Breath Away by Berlin? Really? Yeah. That would have been so much better. Why was it not? What happened? What happened? I guess he can afford licensing for that. Oh, that would have been great because it's Berlin. Come on. Get it? Get it? Berlin and Berlin. So on the nose. Berlin, written by Giorgio Moroder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and take my breath away while he's literally punching the shit out of some cops and taking their breath away. So. Think- from, from the most American film soundtrack possible, Top Gun. That's what I was trying to say is that the only thing that's problematic for me is that it's so linked to Top Gun that I can't even listen to that song in like an ambient setting and not think about Kelly McGillis <laughs> like on a motorcycle so I, I do think that that would be not the freshest choice but I see that for both they were probably trying to go for that like this is just what's in the stereo it's like somebody listening to what about the other one the writing on the metro I kind of yeah. don't remember okay. what never mind <laughs> well no no I'm like trying to remember the scene that that goes against it's just like it's not the most intense fight sequence she has because that's obviously with like the Russian dudes later. Mm-hmm. It's when the cops come up and she's um, like fighting the cops with like that rope or I don't know if it's like a rope or uh, oh. whatever. And then she's like using that like around her arm to like whatever. And then she hooks the police officer and then like slides down. Uh, so some of these fight scenes were choreographed in such a cool way, like that one in particular, where she literally like uses a whole dude as like a grappling hook. Yeah, <laughs> that I think I was not paying attention to the background music. Like I was just in awe of these fight scenes because they were they were really impressive. They were stunning. Yeah, so I, I don't even think that I registered it, and I think partly too, like some of the things, like riding on the metro, is such a like, you've heard it so many times. Like, maybe it's mm-hmm. just kind of meant to be there for texture. It's not really meant to take over the scene or to support the scene in, like, a super strong way. Yeah. 
I don't know. For me, the whole George Michael thing, maybe it's because I have seen it four times. So it's not like I still obviously appreciate the action in the film, but nothing's like a surprise to me anymore. It's just every single time that like George Michael just like pops out. Like it does take over the scene for me. I wish it had been Careless Whispers by Wham. <laughs> if you're going to go George Michael, you know, just go with go with that. <laughs> I think that song's too chill for beating the crap out of people. It's got like a nice sax. She's just kicking around oh, yeah. a bunch of jazz songs. The father figure one's pretty slow. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? What were your thoughts on the soundtrack? Let's hear what you think. Yeah, so I think they did a pretty good job of not being too obvious with things. Like when I saw 99 Luft Balloons on the soundtrack, I kind of cringed because... I think Zack Snyder ruined that in Watchmen, where it's like, Germany, 1980, and you hear 99 Luft Balloons. Oh, God. I blocked that movie out of my memory, so. (laughs) So I really like that, you know, it shows up for, like, a quick cameo. Like, that guy tells that kid to start dancing, plays the beginning of 99 Luft Balloons, and then just beats the crap out of the kid and the radio. (laughs) That, to me, was the most intense moment of violence. It was like super intense. So like there's the juxtaposition of 99 Left Balloons, which, you know, I think everyone kind of assumes is this like really cheery poppy song, even though isn't it about like nuclear war? That's my understanding of it. Yeah. Sometimes I think that, I don't know, the Germans are making that up or something to seem deep. (laughs) I'm glad that this film didn't use 99 Left Balloons to be like, hey, we're in Germany in the 80s. It's just kind of part of the the movie right 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 just like i was happy that blue monday wasn't like hey we're in london in the 80s <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it i think it's tough i think the 80s is one of those period settings where the temptation to do something that is hit you over the head with a hammer obvious is just really big right especially when you're considering that the 80s is now really far away so younger audiences are not going to connect with something unless it's popular enough to know so there there is there is kind of like a question there of like the how do you how do you get across the fact that you're in a particular place and that it's in 1989 but also you know not have to use a flock of seagulls which they do they do use a flock of seagulls i ran <laughs> she is running <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like it. There is a lot of stuff that's like on the nose, and there are pretty mainstream songs on there. But it still works, and it's not too annoyingly so. Like I think it walked that line really, really well. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Nicole, like absolutely, like you have a younger audience that isn't necessarily going to connect in the same way. Although that's just like so bizarre to me, and you just made my heart like drop like ten feet. Like technically, I was like barely born in that time period but like i'm still so hyper aware of the 80s because it's close <laughs> enough that it's like wait how would someone not connect with the 80s that's like so bizarre but true <laughs> yeah i i am reminded every day by the people i work with that are like i was born in 1997 i'm like whoa that's great <laughs> okay yeah, I, it's and there are, again, like I think some choices on here that are that are kind of more of that like sonic texture i like that they use major tom both because it's such a it's such a Euro choice and it also kind of ties into that Bowie thing that they have going on. There is a there is a thing I read about this movie where they wanted Bowie to be in it, uh, but he turned it down like really shortly before he died. 
And I am torturing myself wondering what role he would even play. Like, would he be one of the MI6, like, interrogators? (laughs) He probably would have been, like, a smaller part. Like a cameo? Or I was just like, what would he have been in this movie? But then again, like, John Goodman is in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that to me was, like, the most strange casting, but it still works. Like, I'm not bothered by it, but it's just an interesting choice. Like, everyone else seems so natural and fluid in their parts, and his is like, how did that happen? I'm not bothered by it, but how did it happen? (laughs) Same. I get the feeling John Goodman just wandered over from a different set and was like, oh, you needed somebody to be the CIA agent? Okay, cool. Yeah, like, he's the American? Is that, like, the moral of the story here, that he just represents America? (laughs) I guess, yeah. It's like, John Goodman is America. (laughs) Maybe Leitch was a big Roseanne fan. (laughs) Roseanne was huge. Um, in Berlin. I don't know if you guys knew that. Huge. 89. (laughs) No, I wish there was more Bill Skarsgård in it because I absolutely loved him in this. Uh, Yeah, he's good in this. It it made me think of him not as much as, um, you know, Alexander Skarsgård's kind of less attractive, more Steve Buscemi-esque brother. (laughs) I don't know, like... He can dress up for a look like all the roles that I've seen him in. He is this like suave badass. So it's like, even though I can see the Steve Buscemi like less attractiveness, like I've just only ever seen him in super badass roles. So I'm like, I don't know. I feel like he's eclipsing Alexander Skarsgård at this point. I mean, this is not a (laughs) podcast about Alexander Skarsgård, but if it were, (laughs) we need another hour. (laughs) Uh Oh, is Ewan McGregor, should he be getting jealous? (laughs) I'm just saying, nobody's putting you and McGregor in any movies. <laughs> Someone put him in movies, so we have more things to talk about from the last decade. Okay, if we're casting people, then Ewan McGregor would be the uh, boyfriend agent who dies in like the first few seconds. Fucked up. Spucked That's up. who he would be. Perfect. And David Bowie would be the watchmaker. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, so there are a couple covers on this on the soundtrack. So Blue Monday comes back by the band Health. And I thought they would actually use these covers a little bit more strategically. Like I thought it would be kind of like a like it would link to the scene where Blue Monday started, but it just seems like it just shows up again at the beginning of the film. I know that it's at like the first few seconds when the agent's running away and when he's like murdered, but when does it come up again? I think right when Charlize Theron gets to Germany. Mm. Okay, so he bleeds over. I get it. Yeah. Um, No, I thought it was pretty funny because I was like, oh, so this like mega Russian badass agent, because that was the first time it plays is contextual because he's listening to it in the car. You like see the door open and he gets out of the car and it's like playing. Uh And I thought it was hilarious that I'm like, oh, this like super badass Russian agent is listening to blue monday as he's like gunning down this other agent (laughs) i mean that song does have like a really good energy and it does have that really like icy cool kind of feel about it right i mean it's literally Mm -hmm. called blue monday so i feel like blue monday is kind of the um it's the unofficial theme to this film in a way Oh, yeah, no, I think it like it's a great tone to set the film. And I think it works perfectly. I just thought that it was really hilarious that they chose to make a contextual 
in that moment where he opens the door and then the mix changes so it sounds like it's playing from the car stereo. <laughs> that yeah. was really I love when that happens. <laughs> yeah, and I'm surprised that Health's cover of it is not more abrasive. Yeah, I think I think they probably toned it down. Like I bet they were commissioned to do this. They were like, okay, we need something that's like it's kind of like the original Blue Monday. <laughs> Don't go crazy. I think Ryan's just trying to bait me to talk about my past experiences with the band, which yeah, unfortunately that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> Ryan just set the trap. Unfortunately, we didn't record the first few seconds of this conversation because remember this uh, podcast is a personal story podcast. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot <laughs> that I had beef with them. Ryan's like texting me, and he's like, "I'm sure you're gonna have so much to say about them," and I'm like. Sure. I mean, I guess they did like a cool cover of Blue Monday. Um, yeah, I'll have a ton to talk about. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> as it turns out, <laughs> I uh, went to some Nine Inch Nails concerts and they opened and it was just like they had every amp imaginable. And obviously I'm in like the pit naturally. I'm like by the rail. And it was like total just like strings of notes like no like negative space like no melody or beat or anything it was just like insanity and mind you I listen to industrial music like I listen to Nine Inch Nails so for me to be like what the hell was that and why was it so loud and why are my eardrums bleeding <laughs> it's like a strong statement anyway I completely forgot about that and I forgot that I apparently complained about that to Ryan <laughs> and we started this podcast and before we started recording and he's like so are you gonna have like a ton to talk about? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, what about their ears bleeding for Nine Inch Nails? And I was like, holy shit, I completely forgot about that. I blacked them out because- Ryan, Ryan does not forget a concert story. Ryan does not forget a concert experience. If you tell Ryan your like secrets about what has happened to you at a show, it's gonna keep them. Clearly, clearly. So now I feel like I should just do that. Like I should just like tell Ryan about all of my concert experiences because clearly I can't be trusted to remember them. So I should have him remember them for me. So this is another service that uh, Ryan provides. If you have concert experiences that you're worried you might forget because of the pandemic, just tell him. He'll remember. He'll keep them in his lockbox. And, uh, and yeah, it'll be like a time capsule that you can just tap into whenever you're ready. Yeah, sure, Lockbox. Like you brought up the whole pentatonics thing on this podcast. No, brought no Nicole brought podcast. up the pentatonics thing. <laughs> I bring it up every chance I get. <laughs> well, I guess it's ironic that health is uh, bad for your health. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure that they're great and other people like them. I was just like, I'm here for Nine Inch Nails let's get the opening bands off stage and let's get let's get this started That's and these shame. are like small and these are small small shows like oh like yeah 1000 people max shows oh yeah really tiny like music hall like really tiny venues like they could have used half of the equipment that they had on that stage <laughs> when you're louder than like the headliner it's a problem uh, i've also seen health live so I saw them open for Of Montreal. That's an interesting story. And they would actually kind of fit on the soundtrack a little bit. So I thought health was fine. But then I read <laughs> these interviews with them after we saw them. And they were saying about how they like they opened for like Vampire Weekend and like for Of Montreal. And just the amount of, the amount of threats of physical harm that they got. 
from fans of like Vampire Weekend about how much they hated watching Health. Oh my god! I didn't know. I promise it wasn't me. I promise I didn't send them a single note. Wow, a bunch of like. No, you don't use social media, Brandis. <laughs> how would you send it by a pigeon? I yeah, I could have hands written them a note. Come on, but I didn't. <laughs> Dear Health. <laughs> Boo, get off the stage. <laughs> that's super funny. Um, that's, that, I mean, to be fair, though, if you're seeing Vampire Weekend, that is yeah. not the opening act that you're looking for. Well, I mean, that's a problem when you just say that they've opened for Nine Inch Nails of, of Montreal and Vampire Weekend. Like, those are three very different bands. <laughs> I just it doesn't it doesn't work for anyone really. I no. mean, especially not health. Health. What are you doing? Who who is your manager? Yeah, like find find your genre and open for that genre. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Pentatonics is probably available. <laughs> Vampire Weekend needed an opening. <laughs> imagine health with like all of the industrial equipment and amps opening for like an acapella group with no instruments <laughs> that would be an instant heart attack i'm actually having a really good time imagining like a bunch of like goth industrial platform boots like sailing at pentatonics wait no 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 i thought we were going in a different direction can we please start a goth acapella band <laughs> This is what we need in 2021. All right. That, look for that next. <laughs> look, next podcast, the debut of uh, Brandis and I's first ever goth acapella band. It's going to be great. If you're in the Los Angeles area, check the want ads on Craigslist. <laughs> We're hiring. Auditions start next week. Uh, I don't really play an instrument, so this would be my only foray into. Exactly. Help us out. Wear black, sings and stuff, and it's good. You don't even have to sing great. Just, mm-hmm. you know, know some Cure songs. <laughs> Ryan is, like, dead silent. He's like, I'm over this. So like, <laughs> Ryan is offended by just, like, the mere idea of this, I think. I'm trying to process this all. <laughs> I really want this to happen now. I mean, I hate acapella. I don't even like acapella. But if you told me that there was a goth acapella group, I think I'd have to show up. Oh, man. You also said you didn't like musicals. And then you started talking I about cabaret. <laughs> Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Just lies everywhere. Can you, you imagine? the only people who haven't seen cabaret. You can't hold that against me. Can you imagine if that fight scene in the stairway that was set to father figure was set to like... The pentatonics version <laughs> of Father. Oh, that's something that definitely does not need to happen. <laughs> no, that does not need to happen. I also thought you're going in a different direction with that. I thought you were going to say like Liza Minnelli singing something. <laughs> <laughs> well, your first album should definitely be an acapella version of Cabaret. <laughs> I feel like that would sell. Isn't that semi? Isn't that semi goth? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many mixed references here. It's great. Let's just get a grab bag and throw everything in and just pull random shit out. <laughs> I mean, my reference is still Shit's Creek. So I'm like, well, Stevie's kind of goth for that show. <laughs> totally. <laughs> We're not doing a cabaret episode, I guess. I can't guarantee you we'll get through all of cabaret. 
Yeah, I think Nicole and I are firmly okay with having all the wrong facts about Cabaret. Yeah. Like, we I never mean, want to be right. <laughs> We're comfortable with where we are. I watched this movie because I'm like, yes, I would like to see some asses getting kicked. This sounds great. I mean, this is a musical. You can't hold the musical thing over me with Atomic Blonde. I have only uh, recommended one musical. Right? And that's all you're going to get. Yes. Yes, just one. But it had Ian McGregor in it. You can't. mm -mm. No, you know you enjoyed it. (laughs) I made an exception. (laughs) You listen to the Moulin Rouge soundtrack every single morning. He serenades you awake. Please. I mean, this is definitely, I have to say that the Atomic Blonde is a, it's a strong left turn from, from Moulin Rouge, which is so like overly in touch with its feelings. <laughs> and this film is just like, what are feelings, right? So, I mean, But again, it's me. The whole Moulin Rouge thing is like a weird aberration. Like I am the cold blooded, like icy cold, Stoli, Charlie Theron. Like, this is my jam. I didn't want to bring it up because I felt like you would be you would be mildly offended, but this is, like, so on brand for you. It might as well be called Atomic Redhead. Brand is <laughs> Yeah. I love that. Why would I be offended? No, it's so on brand for me. Like, this – I love this movie, everything about it. I'm like, yes, I, like – yes. I don't want to live this movie because I don't want to get the shit kicked out of me, but other than that, I'm here for it. Uh, I also – Really appreciated it in this film. This is not really a music comment, so I apologize for people that tune in to listen about soundtracks. That's not always what it says. Uh, but the, the woman who is like the French secret agent and just how terrible she is at being a secret agent. She's so bad. Who gave her clearance to be an agent? Who was like, yeah, she's not, so she's not being the crap out of anyone. No, but the funny thing to me was like, like basically reaffirming the stereotype that like, oh, we are French. We are so laissez-faire. We cannot even do a secret agent thing. Like we're just like, <laughs> gets and delivery. And we're going to let Charlize Theron like fight all our battles for us. Uh, we were waiting for Nicole to have a Russian accent, but instead it was French. Still here for it. Still really happy that happened. No, the best part was when she called James McAvoy and was like, I know what you did. And it's like, why would you tip your hand? Why would you do that? I thought you were a secret agent too. I know. Like, so dumb. Like, she's so dumb. It's so bad. Like, every choice that she makes in that movie is basically one of, uh, like, I'm just following my heart. <laughs> you're a secret agent, man. Like, you're going to get killed. And then she does get killed. Spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. She 100%, like, did not last. And, like... It's really not her fault. Whoever cleared her and sent her into the field, like, that person just really messed up. It made me want to know more about uh, whatever the equivalent of MI6 is. Not sex. Not MI6. Although she was, there is a lot of sex in this movie. There is a lot of sex in this movie. It's a very sexy movie. It's a very sexy movie in addition to being, like, a very cool-looking movie. A lot of sex in this movie. Do not watch this with your mom. (laughs) Might be a little awkward. Yeah, don't watch this with anyone's mom. Yeah, so what's the French equivalent to MI6, CIA, and KGB? Right. Like, uh, do did, did they have one? or did they not. Just... They were the best she had. I mean, they she was the best they had. She was the best of them, and she is just so terrible. She's like, I just want to be a... She looks like she's from Moulin Rouge. She's a rock Yep. I think she was... 
the bad assassin in Kingsman, though. So it's not her first action film. She's a lot more successful in that one. Interesting. Yeah, I know she's been in. Um, so speaking of like, yeah, over the top sexy things, she's she's in that Gaspar No movie Climax. With base, it's basically a bunch of people like taking drugs and having an orgy, and that's the extent of my knowledge about that film. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so she's she's got she's got other stuff going on. I um I just can't believe that they wrote this character to be so intentionally a terrible secret agent. Like it would be one thing if they wrote a character for Charlize Theron to like have a torrid affair with, and that character were like you know just whatever, like a normal femme fatale, and you could kind of understand why she's just like why she gets killed in the end but she's just like terrible at her job it really upset me yeah they introduce her in a they introduce her in a phone booth just staring at Charlize Theron at, outside yeah. the airport I'm gonna hold up this really obvious camera and take your photo <laughs> like she's not even on the phone she's just like holding the handset and just staring at Charlize Theron <laughs> as she gets into the car right and then James McAvoy's character who is a slightly better secret agent tells Charlize Theron's character, like, well, if I was following you, you'd never know. And I'm like, well, yeah, I would hope so. Like, you are. Right, that's the point. That's your whole job. Like, Yeah, you're all spies. Right. It's a spy shit. And if you don't know <laughs> spy shit. I feel like they all kind of suck. I mean, obviously, Charlize Theron's good at, like, kicking ass. But in terms of, like, spy stuff, I actually think they all suck. It's a whole bunch of them just, like, going around talking to each other without anyone knowing what's actually going on. Like the only person who knew what was going on was the watchmaker. That's it. Yeah. Th- th- there's some internal logic stuff in this movie that like it falls apart a little bit, but it looks yeah. so cool. And the soundtrack is so good to go with like the cool shit that you're seeing that like, you know, the, the world of it is so, is so cool. And the fight scenes are so cool that it doesn't really matter. It's like any like average bond movie, right. Where you're like, I don't really care about the plot. Yeah. I just want to, like, be immersed in it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a spy movie that's not really about the twists. <laughs> no, there aren't really a lot of, like, hard, like, oh my, except for the end. The end, obviously, is a is a reveal, but the, the yeah. rest of the movie is just kind of, yeah, it's just a lot of Charlie's Throne getting herself out of some really precarious situations where she has to do stuff like stick a car key into some guy's face. <laughs> that one was great, too. <laughs> she has a pretty she has a pretty great career. You know, oh, yeah. it, it's not like a bulletproof career, but you know, the fact that she's been able to be in Oscar bait films and also basically be, you know, maybe the most successful female action star perhaps ever. Well, Mila Jovovich. Well, she's she's approaching that territory if they keep yeah. going with these atomic blonde films. Is there any uh talk of there being a sequel to this film? I don't think so. They definitely set it up, right? Mm-hmm. It's open-ended. I, de- I found it. It has been announced the film is in development as a Netflix exclusive film. Oh, wow. Ooh. Really? That's exciting. Brandis is so happy right now. I'm so happy right now. Yeah, I see it. Atomic Blonde too. She doesn't have to watch this movie again for the fifth time. I know, right? I watched The Old Guard, though, and I was like kind of disappointed. I was disapp- I was disappointed when she was with uh, Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind. <laughs> wow! See what we mean about Ryan not forgetting things, right? It's like a steel trap. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it was from '98 to 2001. <laughs> See? Well, I looked that up. I, I knew they were together at some point. I just 
to remember when their third album, which I don't think anyone cared about at that point, apparently is about how he was sad that they broke up. <laughs> I wish you would step back off that ledge, my friend. No, that's Yes Man. Oh. That- <laughs> it's the only Third Eye Blind song I can actually conjure at this moment. Do, 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 do. You know that one. <laughs> I do know that one. I don't know how the rest of it goes. I'm pretty sure there's a thing where for editorial content, you can actually play like 15 seconds of a song. <laughs> no, it's better if we sing it. How many bars can we do? How, if it's really bad and you can't tell that it's the song, is that does that count? <laughs> I think you can just get sued for slander at that point. <laughs> I'm not the one that brought up Charlize's dating history, so <laughs> your can of worms, Ryan. I mean, how can we not bring that up on this podcast? <laughs> like, definitely clear who was stepping down in that. Like, you do a lot better, Charlize. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't think of another Charlize Theron movie off the top of my head besides Monster, because you just brought it up, and uh, Mad Max. Monster, Mad Max. Oh, uh, shit. I just had it up. I think Ryan is correct. I think she's had like a, va- a varied and, you know, successful career. I think it helps to be tall. Mm-hmm. Is the moral of the story. Like, oh, I'm she was tall, no white gorgeous. But she's like no six feet or over six feet, right? She's got like, she's very tall. I'm trying to remember. I saw this one where she's like, is it Tully? She plays this like author like a ghost writer it's just to be like this adult child and it was just like such a weird oh young adult is it called young adult and has pat yeah, and all in it yes mm-hmm. it's like this little indie flick yeah 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 no she's been in a lot of stuff she's been in a lot of stuff right she's i hope she gets a sequel to this movie because i do think that it's um it's cool i mean it's based on a graphic novel which i assume is a, a series right so mm-hmm. the the premise is spy shit as we said so there, there's really no there's no end to that if the Bond franchise has any, you know, any implications. No. You can keep doing that forever. Oh, she was Megan Kelly and Bombshell. That got, like, her a lot of nods. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah, I think she got an – I think she was nominated for an Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. But she won for Monster, and I think there was another movie. Was it North County? That's the film. Yeah, North Country. North Country. You know, I do remember. Here's another like '90s reference, just for Ryan. '90s odds reference. Do you remember that she was in that Eon Flux movie? I do. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to say she has a long history of action stuff. Long history of action films, but I feel like until her role as Furiosa in Mad Max, people weren't really. I feel like that Aeon Flux movie kind of ruined it for her for a little while because it wasn't successful. Yeah. Which sucks because, again, like, it's great casting. There is nothing mm-hmm. wrong with her as, like, an action star. I feel like she should she should be – she's, like, the Bond that we need. Mm-hmm. She was pretty, like – I mean, it wasn't really an action film for, like, hand-to-hand combat, but she was very, like – I want to say did a lot of physical acting in the Italian job. Uh, mm. And so I think that, like, kind of put her on that path. And then I think you're right. I think Anne Flux just kind of, like, went a little bit sideways. Yeah. Yeah, she would show up a lot in action movies. Like, I think she was in uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm -hmm. And she was in... 
the fate of the furious as well but as far as like being front and center the action star i think that took a while it wasn't until mad max where people could see that she could carry a whole action movie by herself right this movie also kind of remind me reminded me a little bit of drive like it had like the same aesthetic kind of quality as drive to me like a lot of neon and spray paint and i haven't seen it wow really you haven't seen drive i feel really? like you would like drive because it's also very emotionally detached <laughs> i will put it on my to watch list <laughs> good soundtrack too yeah good soundtrack also so yeah. some some parallels some parallels oh by the way the only song on this soundtrack that is actually um not correct for the period do you guys know what it is yes london calling so London Calling came out before 89. So technically, like, London Calling works. Well, I can think of one, but I thought we weren't talking about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're not talking about it. That's right. No, there, well, maybe there's two then. And I don't know where the song that we are, like, the, we're not discussing a certain uh, musician with certain uh, abuse. History, problematic stuff. Who is incredibly problematic. We will not be bringing up on this podcast because fuck that guy. No, this song is Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Oh. Oh, right, right. So, yeah, so that, that movie was released after 1989. It's not even on... So there's, a, there's a scene with James McAvoy in the beginning where he's like hanging out with a bunch of, you know, like underground Berlin, like punks or whatever, like outside yeah. and it's playing them. That's like when you first see Bill Skarsgård, right? Maybe. I know James McAvoy is there. I can't yeah. remember Bill Skarsgård's face. I'm going to be honest with you because I get it. Wow. <laughs> Rude. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Those are fighting words. I can't remember his face. I have they don't have it. On, they don't have it on the official soundtrack list, so maybe they realize afterwards they're like, "Shit, we fucked up," and so they took it off the soundtrack. Oh, that's possible. That's possible. I remembered it really specifically because I was like, "Is this right?" Oh, they probably just didn't want to pay for it. Oh, that could be too. Yeah. I mean, it would kind of stick out like a like a sore thumb with all the other songs on the soundtrack. Nope. I- and by the fact that that's the George Michael song. <laughs> the public enemy song in the middle of there would be like health opening for Vampire Weekend. <laughs> you know, I do feel like though this soundtrack, like the track listing on this thing is um, it's intended to be listened to all the way through, which I don't know that you can say about every modern mm-hmm. movie soundtracks. This came out in 2017. Is that right? Yes. Something like that. I mean, it definitely like is a mood. Like, there's a mood in this, right? It's, like, a little bit of 80s, a little bit of industrial. Uh, if you're into those things and that's, like, your wheelhouse, you're probably going to listen to this soundtrack from Back to Front. Yeah, no, I think it's... Like, you could put this on and play it, and it would not... Um, nothing would take you, like, wildly out of the mood that you're in. So that's kind of cool. It's thoughtful. Mm-hmm. So the film ends with Under Pressure, and that's the one song on the soundtrack I feel that, like, falls pretty flat. It's an obvious choice, right? Because how many times have we heard Under Pressure in various movies? Like, somebody should look that up someday because it is a popular choice. Yes. Very. It's so many scenarios that that can work for. It can work for a (laughs) rom-com. And it can work for this. 
And I believe it was in the trailer for Adaptation. Really? Hmm. But again, like, that's a complete, wildly different thing than what this is. So, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you on that, Ryan. I think that that's, um, as much as I, I love that song, uh, and I'm not mad about hearing it, I don't think I wanted it in that moment. I could have used another, like, Susie and the Banshees song or something. It's yeah. such a, like, hard-edged movie that I do feel like that probably doesn't work. Just go harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, like, a little bit of an interesting tone to leave it at because, you know, she's, like, walking away from, like, this whole, like, entire life and finally can, like, take a breath. But so the whole thing on the nose, but, like, it's just the tone is, like, such a, like, weird, like, shift in terms of just the feeling of it. The tone is weird, and, and spoiler, again, if you haven't seen Atomic Blonde, why are you listening to this? Yeah, and like, you really sorry. Be. No, sorry. <laughs> go back. Just pause right now. Go watch Atomic Blonde. Come back. Uh, so the whole right. scene, I think, being that reveal of, like, oh, she's actually working for America, e.g. John Goodman. Um, so so that, that whole reveal at the end is maybe, is that maybe where it's coming from, kind of, like, that... We're, we're shifting the tone. Maybe. I thought it was, like, the whole, like... Because, I mean, you're not supposed to know, because obviously that's, like, the big twist. But it's, like, even when she's in the debriefing with MI6, she's still being a spy there. Like, she's still performing. And so the only time we see her as her is when she gets on the elevator and then when she gets on the plane. True. That he was like the big tonal shift is even when we thought that she was herself in like the apartment in London when she's in the ice bath and when she's like being debriefed, like none of that was her. Right. That whole like, uh, oh, your face changes when you are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I better not do it again. And then you see her kind of like be herself at the end and then under pressure plays. Yep. Which is weird. Could have been something else. Could have been father figure. <laughs> Yeah, they should have just, like, flipped those two. <laughs> I mean, John Goodman is there. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense, actually. It totally makes sense. They should have just flipped those two songs. Under Pressure is great for the fight sequence, and Father Figure is great for when she comes back to good old John Goodman on the airplane. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the ones that I think worked best for me in this movie were definitely, like, the Ministry song and Cities and Dust by Susie and the Banshees and that 99 Loof Balloons moment that I think is kind of nice here. Like the stuff that felt a little bit, not deep cut, but a little bit more like had a little bit of an edge to it because it's just mm-hmm. such an edgy movie and the violence is like Ryan said up front, like it's really visceral. Yeah. <laughs> so you're either going to go all the way with that father figure juxtaposition or you're going to have to match it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess there's some irony with the fact it's called Under Pressure and it's like the only part of the movie where like you don't feel all this tension yeah. <laughs> right but it's an odd song that way because it's a song it's a song about being under pressure but it also has like this certain like lightness to it like, yeah, yeah like pop lightness to it like yeah like, i mean that's interesting for that song in general is i think everyone hears it as this like happy like light song but it's actually a very depressing very deep and very emotional song, especially now that both of these people are dead and for various reasons, like it's, it's a weird song in that way too. Like it's just the tone of the song itself totally is 
at odds with like the actual lyrics wasn't that like a trendy thing to do in like the 80s though like you know van halen's jump is like the same thing where it's like this really upbeat song but it's about like someone thinking about jumping off a bridge (laughs) which again it feels like that's so made up because van halen's jump is like the height of cheese like ridiculous ridiculous it's ridiculous right it's like how can you dress that up in spandex and then also tell me that it's about suicide okay that oh that reminds me i think it was a thing in the 80s uh so voices carry by till tuesday is on the soundtrack it's in the movie um i don't know that it's on the soundtrack proper it is so i caught it and um ryan i don't you'll probably know this but do you know who the lead singer of till tuesday is Till Tuesday. You are now about to blow your mind because you're going to freak out. Oh, Amy Mann. Yeah, it freaked me out because I just found this out recently that Amy Mann, like, whatever, like, indie shed since the 90s, like, who has this whole kind of, like, singer-songwriter career. She had this 80s band called Till Tuesday, and their big hit was Voices Carry. And it's, like, it's the kind of song that you hear in an elevator or while your teeth are being drilled on. Like, you don't really think about it. <laughs> you don't think about it. Right? If you don't where you're going to. You, I, no, but really, like, it's it's on, like, I don't know, like, if you live here in Southern California, it's on, like, the Coast Radio, Coast 103.5, like, soft hits. Like, it's not an aggressive song. You don't really think about it. You just kind of let it pass by you. And you've heard it a million times. Voices Carry is about an abusive relationship. Voices hmm. Carry is about being, like, beat by your boyfriend. Which is a very Amy Mann kind of like dark place to go with it, but it is not a dark sounding song. Maybe that's also the theme of like all these songs pulled from the 80s. Because like we said, 99 Lift Balloons, same thing. Maybe. And maybe that's kind of like a whole commentary on the 80s itself, right? Is that everything was very like glossy on the exterior, but that doesn't mean that people weren't like having problems. Oh, yeah, no, like, when I watch, like, films about teenagers and people in high school in the 80s, like, written and, like, set and done, like, in the 80s, it's horrifying. It's, like, everyone has a switchblade, (laughs) and, like, everything is, like, so intense, and it's, like, holy shit. Like, this isn't even, like, some huge, like, inner-city school. This is just, like, some random high school out in the sticks, and it's, like, they're all switchblade gangs. Like, what else do you Yeah, no, it's true, though. That It's true. There's um, The 80s is a weird thing. Even listening to 80s music, it, it, Tears for Fears is not on the soundtrack, but Tears for Fears is one of those bands that, like, they're completely innocuous on the surface. But every time I listen to them for whatever reason, they give me, like, a weird feeling inside. Like, it makes me feel bad to listen to Tears for Fears. Well, they also have Mad World. They, yeah, and I mean, like, they've got the whole Donnie Darko connection. But even before that, like, I feel like um, Tears for Fears just, it, I don't know, it brings me to a very weird headspace. And I think mm-hmm. that's something to do with, uh, yeah, there being these kind of, like, weird, like, dark trenches of, like, 80s culture where everything was trying to be really peppy and poppy and, like, but it wasn't necessarily that way. Yeah, like, wearing one in the glitter to cover for all of the darkness. Exactly. That's um, something I, I back in high school, I interviewed uh, Blake from Jawbreaker Jets to Brazil. And I don't know why we got on the topic of the 80s. And but he basically said, like, all the all the makeup and all the dress up and the big hair, it's because people were basically afraid of nuclear war. That's like, it was like a reaction to that. <laughs> that's super heavy. That's really heavy. Yeah. Makes sense. And though. I think that's a reflection in the music, right? Mm hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Like there's there's a whole subtext to these like yeah Cold War era songs that get played in in this particular film, and and maybe they were selected for that too. Like maybe the people bitching about like well, these songs are from '83, but I like that they have kind of that um, that mood and that relevance to this you know Berlin setting. Mm-hmm. It works. Yep. Well, thank you, Brandis and Nicole, for coming on the podcast again. Thank you, Ryan, for um, for having us and for letting us uh, spin wildly out of control with these topics. Yeah, thanks for not firing us yet. Yay, we're not fired. <laughs> you do need to start that acapella goth band, so we have a backup plan. Yeah. Uh-huh. If you want to start the acapella goth band with Nicole and Brandis, you can email us at soundtrackcast at gmail.com. I will forward <laughs> that information to them. Do it. We want fan mail. We'll provide you eye makeup. Yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't noticed, I've stopped calling you guests. Because <laughs> I don't think, you, I think you are at this point regular contributors to the show. It's actually semi-hurtful, but also flattering. Wait, so instead of getting fired, we've been promoted? I think so. I mean, Nicole <laughs> bought a microphone. What am I supposed to do about that? <laughs> Nicole's committed. Yeah, this microphone purchase is just to guilt Ryan into letting me stay. <laughs> so you hear that, folks, whether you like it or not, you're going to hear us again. Yeah, so we'll do another film about Europe, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Also Ewan McGregor. And possibly also about Ewan McGregor. And Most likely Alexander about Ewan Parker. McGregor. Rubbing yeah, hands. I got it. I need to brush up on my education of Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> Just sitting here silently so I don't say anything disgusting. <laughs> uh, so we will be back with another film, possibly about Europe, possibly with Ewan McGregor in it. And we'll be back to talk about the music. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.